Good to see you guys. Uh, anybody in here play fantasy football? What a, what a way to start a sermon, right? Um, you, you people out, out there who hate football and you're like so happy the football season's over. You're like, this guy's starting a sermon about football. Uh, fantasy football. I play fantasy football. I'm in a league with some people here in this room. And one of the things I, I like about fantasy football is the trades, okay? I'm the guy in your fantasy football league who sends out like 20 trade requests every single week. Daniel's laughing. He has a guy like that in his league probably. That's me. I'm just always sending trade requests. Um, and the, the funniest thing, I think it's hilarious, is when in fantasy football someone makes a really bad trade, uh, a fantasy football league I'm in, a, f- a few years back, I think this is the worst trade of all time. Someone traded away Jamar Chase and in return got Devin Singletary. Yeah, so you, you non-football people, the reaction you just heard tells you all you need to know about that trade. It was a bad trade, right? Terrible trade. Um, trades, though, they don't just happen in fantasy football. Trades are kind of always happening. I don't, I don't think we really view our, our decisions this way, but pretty much every decision that you make is a trade, right? Every single day, you're, you're trading time for, you know, whatever activities you're choosing to participate in, right? When you wake up in the morning, you, you make a decision to trade the next hour and a half to go be in your 8 a.m. class, right? That's a trade, a lot of you guys in this room, you're, you know, you're trading a ton of time, energy, money for an education uh, because you believe that's going to work out in the end. I hope it does, right? We're, we're constantly making trades. Some of you trade, made, a, made a decision to, to trade your time for, for sleep last night and you stayed up till 4 a.m. doing whatever. Maybe that was a bad trade. So uh, for a lot of my life, I made a, a really awful trade. Um, I made a trade for most of my teenage years where I, I traded submission to God, a relationship with God, and a, a secure eternity. I traded that away for moral freedom, right? I wanted to do what I wanted to do, and I didn't want to feel bad about it. I didn't want to be in submission to God. I just wanted to do my thing. I wanted to have fun. I wanted to live in sin, and I didn't want to feel guilty. And so I traded a relationship with God for moral freedom. Little did I know, moral freedom actually led me into slavery, right? I became a slave to, to my own sinful desires. I became a slave to, to porn and to, to substances, and I was addicted to a bunch of stuff. And, like, it was just a, a really bad trade that I had made. Thankfully, I came to my senses. Um, I realized that, that the fruit of the decisions I was making and, and that this trade that I'd been making was not a good one. And so I, I made a decision to make a much better trade, and I traded my life for a relationship with Jesus. I I surrendered my life and I gave it to him and and things changed. That was a good trade. Mark 8, 36, um, it says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Right, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Trading uh, your soul, trading uh, a relationship with God for anything else, is, a, is an awful idea. And you guys, right, you are more than just flesh and blood. You, you have a soul. And the trades that you make, a lot of them affect your soul. And so today, we're going to be jumping into to Genesis 25, and we're going to be talking about this idea of trades. I have a title. My sermon today, is, is the title of it is Bad Trade. 
Um, I don't usually make titles for my, for my sermon, but that's what we're going to be talking about today, uh, bad trades. And I really, like, I, I, I'm hoping, my hope for this morning is that you would frame your decisions as trades. Like, I, want, I think it's a really healthy way to view our decisions. Every decision we're making, we're, we're sacrificing and giving up something and gaining something. For better or for worse, that's what we're doing. And so I'm, I really, my goal is for you to see your decisions in life as trades. And I really want to encourage you guys to stop making bad trades, especially bad trades that affect your soul. And I want you to start making good trades. Um, so that's what we're going to be getting into this morning. I'm going to pray for us. God, you are so good. And we need you. And my prayer is just that this would be a room full of people that do not gain the whole world and forfeit our souls. I, I pray that this would be a room full of people that forfeit the whole world and gain our soul in you. So I just pray you'd take us deeper this morning. I, I ask, Holy Spirit, that you'd come through these doors into this room and just be here. Come, Holy Spirit, speak to us. You are the one who convicts us. And so come. I ask that you, you do your job of convicting us this morning. I pray you'd speak to us, and I pray that, that my words would be your words. In Jesus' name, amen. So a little bit of recap. Um, this whole school year, we've been going through Genesis, and for a while now, we've been following this family, uh, Abraham, right? God finds this dude, Abraham, and he says, I'm going to be your God, and you're going to be my, my guy, and I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to curse those who curse you. And through you, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. And I'm going to give you land, and I'm also going to give you lineage. I'm going to give you children. I'm going to give you offspring, which is impossible because his wife is barren. And so there's this whole saga. A bunch of time goes by. Eventually, God heals his wife and gives Abraham a son, Isaac, at the ripe old age of 100 years old. Um, and so they have Isaac, and the focus is kind of shifting to Isaac in Genesis. Uh, I'm going to sum up the first 18 verses of chapter 25. I'm not going to read them for us. Um, at this point, Abraham's wife, Sarah, the mother of Isaac, has died. Abraham remarries, and he keeps having kids somehow. I don't, this guy's reproductive system must have been just blessed by God because he's still ha he has a bunch of kids, but it's made really clear uh, in the beginning of Genesis 25 that Isaac is still like the child of promise. Isaac is the one that this covenant is going to follow. Um, so Abraham gives everything he has to Isaac. Abraham eventually dies at 175 years old. He's buried in part of Israel, part of this promised land that he had bought. He's, he's buried there. Um, and then we get a little bit of detail on Ishmael, his son that he had through Hagar. Talks about how he has 12 sons, and the book kind of closes on Ishmael. And so now the focus is just totally shifted to Isaac and uh in chapter 25, we're going to learn about Isaac's kids. So that's what, that's what we got. Picking up in verse 18, or 19 actually, of Genesis 25. I'm just going to kind of motor through this chapter um, and then talk about trades. Okay, so Genesis 25, picking up in verse 19. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. So pause there for a minute. Um, we see here, just in these 
few verses, uh, a repeat theme. And whenever there's like repeat themes, you see something pop up over and over and over again in scripture, it's worth paying attention to. And so the repeat theme here is, is that Rebecca, Isaac's wife, is barren. And we saw that with Abraham and Sarah. Um, Sarah was barren for a really long time, and it, that led to a whole mess where Abraham took matters into his own hands and had a child with uh, some woman, other woman, um, and it was a whole mess. Thankfully, Isaac learned from his father's failure, and he didn't do that, even though his wife's barren. And she's actually barren for 20 years. We'll find out later that he's, he's 60 when Isaac's born. So for 20 years, they're married, they're barren, and they have, they have no kids. And um, thankfully, she gets healed. But wh- why the repeat theme? Why is this a thing that keeps coming up? There's probably a, a lot of reasons, but I, I think the theme of barrenness uh, in the, the wives of these patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and we'll continue to see this happen. I think the reason this keeps happening is because God's trying to teach something. He's trying to teach um, his, his, this family that the only way this covenant is going to happen and continue to progress is through divine intervention, okay? And I think he's also trying to teach his people to trust him because for the whole rest of the Old Testament, God's people are going to find themselves in impossible situations where they're facing massive challenges, and they just have to rely on him and trust him. And so I think he's teaching them that right now just through this uh, issue of barrenness that keeps coming up over and over again. So, um, and we even need that today, right? We face hard things. We face impossible situations. Like there's challenges in front of us all the time where we need to learn to trust and depend on God. So simple enough. Let's keep reading. Uh, verse 22. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two people from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all of his body like a hairy cloak, So they called his name Esau. Afterwards, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So pause there real quick. Uh, Whenever we get names... It, we, we say this, it's worth kind of exploring what a name means. And so Esau, his name is really important. It means something very profound, okay? It means hairy. Just kidding. That was a joke. Um, that's not profound, right? Sometimes names are just like descriptive of uh, a trait that a person has. And so Esau is a hairy man. They give him the name Esau, which means hairy. Jacob's name has a little bit more meaning. Um, it means to take another by the heel or to cheat or to deceive Right? And this, this name is kind of going to be descriptive of who Jacob is. Right? And, and eventually his name is going to get changed because he's going to move on from that identity of a deceiver and a cheater. Um, but that's, that's what his name means. And so we see another repeat theme here, though. So I just want to hit on that real quick. And it's this idea of con- family conflict. Right? This is something we've seen over and over again. Cain and Abel. Right? Cain killed Abel. Isaac and Ishmael, there's conflict between them. Uh, Abraham and Lot, they weren't brothers, but there's some conflict between Abraham and Lot. And so we've actually seen a ton of family conflict just in the first 25 chapters of the Bible. So why, right? I think that's a 
Good question to ask. Why? Why does this repeat theme keep coming up over and over and over again? One, it shows me that the Bible's like really realistic, right? Like families have conflict. There's drama. People have issues. It's not good. Um, But something that's very apparent is that God's will is going to be accomplished in spite of conflict, in spite of roadblocks, in spite of family drama, in spite of anything. His will will move on. His will is going to be accomplished. Okay, so there's conflict. God tells uh, Rebecca, um, kind of gives her a warning of this, and then we'll, we'll finish the chapter here. Verse 29. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, so this is a lot of time has passed. They seem to have grown up a little bit. Jacob's cooking stew. Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom, which Edom means red. Or it, it's, a, it's a word that sounds like the Hebrew word red. So that's why his name sometimes is called Edom. Ver- 31, Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Whoa, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus, Esau despised his birthright. Okay, so things are heating up. Um, there's a lot I want to say about this. But first, what, I think it's necessary to explain what a birthright is. Some of you are like, what the heck does that even mean? So think of like kingdoms back in the day. Kings, queens. Who gets the throne? Who, who gets the throne of a king, right? It's his firstborn son. That's kind of the idea of a birthright. Birthright, it's the, it's the right of a firstborn to a special inheritance compared to what the rest of their siblings would get. Um, a lot of times it'd be double. It'd be like a double portion of whatever would go to the rest of the siblings. Um, if, if there was like um, political power or something like that, a lot of times the um, firstborn son would get the, the position that was held by the father, right? Like a, a king. Um, his son would take the throne. So in this case, what's being passed down from father to son through the birthright, it's not just land or a double portion of sheep. It's, it's the covenant, right? This covenant that God made with Abraham that was passed down to Isaac, that covenant is part of the birthright. That covenant, the, the natural, what would naturally happen is that covenant would go to the firstborn son, which was Esau. And the kids knew this, right? They knew that Esau knew he was the firstborn. Jacob knew he was born second. They both understood and knew that this birthright was going um, to Esau, that this covenant would be passed down to Esau. That's just the natural way that things would have been and should have been. And so Esau made a really bad trade, right? He made a very terrible trade here. I, I was reading a commentary, and it says, we're left with no doubt that the writer in this story of Jacob's The writer saw in the story of Jacob's trickery a larger lesson that Esau, though he had the right of the firstborn, he didn't value it over a small bowl of soup. Thus, when in God's plan Esau lost his birthright and consequently his blessing, there was no injustice dealt him. The narrative has shown that he did not want his birthright. He despised it. So Esau made a really bad trade because he didn't value the birthright, but in saying he didn't value the birthright, what I'm also saying is that he didn't value the covenant that God had made with his grandpa and, his, and then his father. 
he didn't see value in this, this covenant relationship between God and what's supposed to be God's covenant people. And the thing is, the stakes are very high, right? Like, this guy is in line to be one of the patriarchs of God's covenant people forever. The stakes are high. Instead, he chooses a bowl of soup. He trades this birthright for a bowl of soup. On the other hand, we have Jacob, okay? And Jacob gets a bad rap. We're going to be talking about Jacob for a long time. I was telling Grant before service, I actually really like Jacob, and he said I'm in the minority of people for saying that because Jacob makes some bad decisions, right? He is a deceiver. He's a liar. He's a cheater. He does that multiple times too, and he makes some bad decisions. He has some serious character issues, but when I read this story, something that I see in the life of Jacob is that Sure, he's got some issues. Sure, he tricks his dumb brother here. That's not good. God is not about deception. God doesn't like trickery. God doesn't like lying. That's all we know. We see that in Scripture. But Jacob at least values the things of God, and he values them so much that he is going to do whatever it takes to get the things of God, to get the covenant, to get the birthright. And that's a theme that we'll see as well. So Jacob has some character issues, but he's like zealous and eager to get the things of God. He values the things of God. And so he makes a trade that's tricky and kind of deceptive. um, And it changes everything, right? And we're like, we're going to be reading about Jacob for the next however many chapters, not Esau. Uh, because Esau didn't value the things of God. So, I'm going to pivot um, and make this really personal. Do the trades that you make every day reveal that you value God and his kingdom? Do the, the trades that you make, the decisions that you make, do they communicate that, v, that you value the things of God? And you value him? Or do they show that you value something else? And the thing I really, like I said, want to just pound into your brain today is I just want to encourage you to stop making bad trades and to start making good trades. And, man, I think a lot of us, myself included, like just preparing this sermon this week, I, um, I feel like was viewing way more of my decisions as trades than normal and I realized I make some pretty bad trades all the time. And so do you guys. We make bad trades often. And sometimes the trades that we make show that we don't value God as much as we should. Some of you, right, some of you trade your time not for spiritual discipline but for entertainment. And with a lot of these things, I'm not condemning entertainment, right? I'm not, that is not what I'm saying. But when you trade... And when you're always perpetually trading time with God, intimacy with God for entertainment, then you are making a really bad trade. Some of you are more committed and invest more time in Instagram or video games than Jesus. And if you can play video games for five hours, but you can't read your Bible for five minutes, there's something wrong. That's a bad trade. And that reveals something in your heart. It reveals that you don't value the things of God, as much as the things of God are worth being valued. Proverbs 28, 19, um, uh, it's kind of a random scripture, but I was reading it the other day, and it, I think this scripture is 
um, specifically speaking into like finances and stuff like that and, and work, but I think it applies to, to spiritual things as well. It says, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. Like I said, that's, I think, speaking specifically to finances, but that's, I think that's also true of, of spiritual poverty. When you invest all of your time in following worthless pursuits, you're going to be spiritually poor. It's just what's going to happen. I think some of us trade true intimacy with Jesus and contentment in him for a romantic relationship with a man or a woman. Once again, I'm not condemning relationships. I'm married. I have an awesome wife, and we dated, and, and it was good. Relationships are good. It's not good that man should be alone, right? But when you trade away intimacy with Jesus for intimacy with a person, you're making a bad trade. I think some of you believe that finding and dating the right person is going to fix all your problems. But the truth is a girlfriend is not going to fix your problems. Jesus is the one who can fix your problems. Not a human. John 15, 4 through 5, it says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So is your desire, ask yourself, married, single, dating, whatever, ask yourself, is your chief desire to abide in Jesus or is it to abide in a person? And if you're trading abiding in a person for abiding in Jesus, that's a bad trade. Even if that person is your spouse, right? And like we're commanded to, uh, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her, but your spouse, your, your girlfriend, your whoever is not supposed to take the place of Jesus in your life. If they are, that's a bad, that is a bad trade. And so if you're not content in the Lord and open-handed with, with singleness and dating and that kind of thing, let that be a red flag to you about you. And, and I'm just encouraging you. You need to find yourself in him before you find yourself in another human. And if you don't, you're going to make some bad trades. I think uh, just another one, I, men and women, but just specifically, uh, just the culture we live in, I'm speaking to you women specifically. Man, I, I think that, that some of you so badly want to just be seen and viewed as beautiful, so much so that you trade away an opportunity to be and feel complete in Jesus and secure in your identity, secure in your body and, and secure in your worth. You, you trade that for validation or you, you trade that for a look, you know. You just want to be seen and you want to just be recognized as beautiful. But the, the reality is, like, God sees you as beautiful already. And so when you, when you like, I, I just, you know, like, so often, I mean, I don't know why I'm getting emotional, but we'll be, like, driving home on a Friday night, and I'm like, it, it just wrecks me looking at, like, we'll, like, drive by a bar. And I'm like, why is she wearing that? It's 10 degrees outside. Why is she wearing that? And it's so sad. It's like she just wants to be seen by a man. And like that is a, 
awful trade, right? That's such a bad trade because, like, we have a God who sees you right now. And so there's an opportunity to trade that, like, feeling of just needing to be seen and beautiful, whatever. There's, there's an opportunity to trade that for security in Jesus and, and, the, the, and just believing that, like, I, I am enough and, and God sees me as beautiful and I'm his. And I don't need, the, the way that people view me really doesn't matter, right? But that's a trade, I think, that people are we're so prone to make. Colossians 2.10 says, you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Women, you're not complete when people view you as beautiful. You're complete in him already, right? I think that we make trades. Trevor, last week, he talked about compromise. And compromise kind of bleeds into, I love what he said about it. It, it bleeds into everything I'm saying right now. But compromise, I think so often we, we, we trade our integrity for an easier path. Right? Maybe it's like you, you trade your integrity uh, for an easier path by, like, you, you just want to cheat on an exam or something. Because it's just easier. It's just going to be so much easier. It's a shorter path. And so you trade your integrity for something easier through compromise. That's a bad trade. Gossip. Man. I think that, that in gossip, you're, you're trading away love and honor and respect for another person. So you can feel good and validated yourself by, by tearing them down and, and talking about them behind their back. Just speech in general. I think we make bad trades with our speech a lot of the time. Scripture in, in Proverbs says we hold death and life in the power of our tongue. Sometimes we trade life with our tongue for death with our tongue, and we just speak all kinds of craziness. Ephesians 4, 29, 32, it says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you're sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgave you. Man, I think some of us, we need to trade corrupting talk for good talk that builds people up and, and speaks highly of people even when they're not around, right? I think we make trades with our speech often. I think some of you are trading community for isolation because it's just a lot easier. It's a lot easier to just be alone and be apart from people because maybe people have hurt you before. And so you just have decided, I'm going to trade community for isolation. Proverbs 18.1, it says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire and he breaks out against all sound judgment. If that's you, you're making a bad trade that's affecting your soul. I'll move on with this. I just have one more. I think, man... I think some of you, you're trading away purity for sex that's outside of God's design. Maybe it's a porn addiction, or maybe it's being sexually active with your, your boyfriend or girlfriend. This is a bad trade. You're, you're trading purity for an orgasm or for a, a momentary fleeting experience. That's a really bad trade. 1 Corinthians 6, it says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. I think just sex in general is a category that people make such bad trades in. It, at Man Makers, uh, at lunch on the second day, a group of us, we were just talking about marriage and just faithfulness and, and affairs and, and cheating and just all this kind of stuff. 
and uh, I think it was Troy, he was like, how crazy is it that someone will, will make the decision to trade like 30 minutes for an entire lifetime of committed marriage with a spouse? That is a mind-boggling trade. Look at what you're gaining and look at what you're losing. That is a crazy trade. I was just looking, 15 to 20% of marriages, there's an affair. 15 to 20%. There's probably a little over 200 people in this room. That'd be like 30 to 40 of you cheating on your spouse. That's crazy, right? I think sex, for some reason, just causes people to make terrible, terrible trades. And so we look at Esau, and we're like, man, this guy's an idiot. <laughs> he traded his birthright, the, the covenant, for a bowl of soup. He's an idiot. But the reality is we make bad trades all of the time. I make bad trades all the time. You and I are not immune to terrible decisions and bad trades. And the thing is, bad small trades, bad small decisions turn into bad big decisions. Esau, we don't get a lot of backstory on Esau. Like, they're born, and then all of a sudden, they're adults, and Esau's hunting. So much time has passed in between verse whatever and whatever in this story. We don't get a lot of backstory, but there is no way that this happened in a vacuum, right? There's no way that this was just an accident. There is a backstory. We don't know what it is. But I am sure that Esau had made a ton of bad trades leading up to this point. He made a lot of bad decisions that, that got him to a place where he didn't value God and the things of God and the covenant of God. This didn't happen in a vacuum. And so bad small decisions will turn into bad big decisions. And I could give you 50 more examples. I, those are just the ones the Holy Spirit put on my heart of bad trades that we make. Um, when it comes down to it, though, our, our ten, we have a tendency and our human tendency is to trade God for self. That's what it all comes down to. I'll take all those examples I gave, boil them down. What it all comes down to is we trade God for self. We trade God's will for ours. And because, it's because we want to function as God of our lives. We want control and we want to call the shots. Right? That's what Adam and Eve did in the garden. That's what Esau did. And that's what we do all the time. We trade God for self. We, we love ourselves more than we love God. That's our tendency. And, and what I mean by that, like saying we love ourselves more than we love God, like, okay, I love myself in the sense of I see myself the way God does and I understand I have value. He cherishes me. He loves me. He knows me. Um, when, I, when I'm condemning loving yourself, that's not, that's not what I mean. What I mean is elevating yourself above him. That, what that is is, is is actually you are loving yourself more than God. And you can, like, hate yourself, but still do this. You can, you can hate yourself, but still live a life where all of your focus is just on you. And in that, that, what I'm explaining is what causes us to make really bad trades. Uh, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 9, and this is a little heavy, okay? We'll get into, I'm, I'm gonna, there's some positive here at the end, but um, this is a depressing scripture. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through, nine, 1 through 5, uh, it says, understand this, in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. People are going to be making bad trades. Why? Verse 2, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, 
swollen with conceit. Pause there. I heard someone preach on this once, and they said, the love of self, making yourself God rather than making God God, it's like a, a sewage pipe, right? And all of these other things are just pumping through this sewage pipe of love of self. But that's what it all comes back to. The tendency that we have to trade God for self, God's will for our will. And so when, you, when, you're, when you're consumed with self rather than being consumed with God, the outcome is pride and arrogance and, and hurting other people, abuse. It's, it's disobedience to authority in your life. It's being ungrateful, unholy, heartless, un- all this, this whole this sewage list, right, pumps through love for self, elevating ourselves higher than, than we should be. Let's pick it up. Here's the kicker. Halfway through verse 4. People will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. Loving and placing ourselves over God it leads to bad trades that will ruin our lives and destroy our souls. That's what happens. Esau, he didn't see the value in the things of God. So in a moment of need, he was willing to let go of God. And what God was offering him, this covenant, for something that he wanted instead. And that was Esau's error. And so the kingdom is the opposite of this, though, right? The kingdom is all about letting go of what you want and taking hold of what he wants. The kingdom is all about, as it says in Revelation, loving not your life unto death, right? Choosing him over you, choosing his will over yours. That's what the kingdom is all about. Because he's the most valuable thing. The kingdom is all about surrender and trading everything so that we can get him. And that's a good trade. That's, that is the best trade, right? Matthew 13, 45 through 46, I love this parable. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. Who, on finding one pearl of great value, he went and he sold all that he had and bought it. The kingdom is like a dude looking for a precious pearl. And he finds this one pearl that is better than any pearl he's ever seen and ever will see. It is priceless. And so what's his response? He sells everything that he had and he trades everything, 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 everything to get this pearl. That's what the kingdom is like. That dude made a good trade. And when we surrender and lay our life down to follow Jesus, we are making a good trade. I've used this quote in a sermon before, but it's like the best quote ever. Jim Elliott, he's a missionary who ended up dying. He's a martyr. He was killed for the, um, preaching the gospel to, to unreached people. He says this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He's no fool who makes the good trade of letting go of the things that he can't keep, which is what? It's everything. You can't keep anything. You're not going to keep the money in your bank account or the house that you live in or the car that you drive or the clothes that you wear or the shoes that you bought and paid way too much money for. You can't keep any of that. There's one thing, though, that you can't lose, and it's Jesus. And so when you, tr- when you trade When you make that trade and you give up what you cannot keep to gain the one thing that you cannot lose, you're not a fool. Everything really is fleeting. Like everything is temporary. Read the book of Ecclesiastes, right? 
there's just there's one thing that's eternal. There's one thing that you can bring with you into this next life, and it's it's a love relationship with Jesus. A.W. Tozer, he said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the single most important thing about us. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And, and the thing is, if, if when, when you think about God, when you believe that he's valuable and that he's worthy, then you're going to make really good trades, Right? He, he is the most worthy thing, and so why? Like, why is he the most worthy thing? Why does he deserve us laying our life down to take hold of him? It's kind of crazy. There's, there's a lot of reasons, but the main one, it's he's worthy because he made a trade. Right? He, God himself made a trade. He traded the life of his son to gain many sons and daughters. He made a trade for you. Jesus traded his righteousness for your sin. He traded his inheritance for your mess. He traded his purity for your filth, his life for your death. And that seems kind of like a raw deal for him, right? Like he just gets our junk. Like that's crazy. 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He took our sin on him. We, we preach that scripture all the time as a church. He, he took our sin on him so that we could take his righteousness on us. He made a trade. God is worthy because he made a trade. And so Jesus, like, what he's saying is, I'm righteous. I'm pure. I'm holy. I'm perfect. I am righteous, and I want to give you my righteousness. I want to give you my righteousness. All you have to give me is all your junk. All your sin, all those bad trades that I talked about earlier, all your impurity, all your, your sexual sin, your lust, your gossip, your, your greed, your whatever, all of that junk, all the bad, all of, all of it, give that to me and I'll give you my righteousness. That is amazing, you know? That is amazing. And the thing is, he did that trade because what it got him, it got him you, right? It seems like a raw deal to him, but, but it's not. Because what he gets in return is you. And he loves you deeply. And so if you're here today and you're like, you've not made that trade, what in the world are you waiting for, right? His righteousness for your sin that is a, that's a good, that's the best trade you're ever going to be offered. That's way better than Jamar Chase for Devin Singletary, right? That is a, such a good trade. And so if you're here and you haven't done that yet, and you're still just doing your own thing, and you're, you're trading a relationship with God for moral freedom, take my word for it. That moral freedom is just going to enslave you like crazy. And you're not going to live a joyful, purpose-filled life, right? You're just going to live for yourself, and then you're going to die. And it's going to be over because you're a vapor and a mist and you're here for a moment and then you're gone. And so make this trade. I, like, I just implore you, make the trade to give everything and get Jesus. It's a good trade. And for the rest of you who have made that trade, one, I just I want to encourage you, like, oh, there's grace, you know. Maybe you feel super convicted as I'm going through all those examples. You're like, dang, dude, I'm really screwing up. 
I make bad trades. Well, there's grace, and the good news is what I just shared. Jesus trades his righteousness for your sin, and so he wants to forgive you. You know that? He actually wants to forgive you. I was talking to someone about that this week, this idea that it's not like he's, he's like, uh, I'm not sure. I don't know. They, what they did was really bad, and I'm still a little ticked off about it. No, he wants to forgive you. <laughs> he loves you. And so if, if you already are in a relationship with Jesus, I really, my goal, like I said for this morning, just try to view your decisions as trades, right? Like just even this morning, I was reading my Bible and I was like really distracted and I had like five other things on my mind that I needed to do on my phone. And I like started to, and then I was like, I'm making a bad trade right now. I could be encountering God. That's what I sat down in this chair to do. And instead I'm trading distraction for a moment with Jesus, bad trade. And so I just want you to like see your decisions this way. I think it's a really healthy way to view our decisions. And I want to encourage you, and worship team, you can come up by the way. What trades do you need to stop making? And what trades do you need to start making? What trades do you need to stop making? And what trades do you need to start making? And making the right trades starts with seeing God as worthy and valuable and, and loving him, right? That, that's the start. If, if that's not there in your life, you're not going to make good trades. And so if, if you feel convicted by that, a great prayer to pray is, God, teach me to love you. Teach me to value you. Show me your worthiness. And I just want to encourage you. I'm going to just pray right now and just ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us and show us what trades we need to stop making and what trades we need to start making. So God, thank you that you traded everything. You traded your son so that you could get many sons. Thank you, Jesus, that you traded your righteousness for our sin. We, we do not deserve that. We don't. We did nothing, absolutely nothing to earn that. But I just thank you for your grace. Thank you that even if we mess up over and over and over again, I'm sure there's people in this room, you messed up this weekend and you did something you regret and you feel dirty and you feel like crap. Thank you, God, that we cannot out your grace. And so I just pray that your grace would come in like a flood and that you would wash us and change us so that we don't make those bad trades again. The point isn't, you have grace, so let's keep making bad trades and you'll forgive us. The point is our trades that we make, sometimes they kill us. And so, Father, I just pray that you'd empower us to, to stop making bad trades and start making good ones. And I just, in this moment, Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would speak to us right now and that you would show people the trades that they need to stop making and the trades that they need to start making. I'm just gonna take a second. Just listen. Holy Spirit, speak right now, please. Jesus, you are worthy of whatever that thing is. You're worthy of that trade that we've been putting off. You're worthy of that. Help us just as we worship to see your worth, to just see you for who you really are, to see your beauty and your value. And we just want to be a people that are 
100% surrendered to you. I'm not. I, I feel like I, I hold on to stuff still. And I'm sure a lot of us do. We just want to lay everything down for you because that, that's what we were designed for. So just come in this worship and just show us who you are. Show us your, your worth and your value and your holiness. In Jesus' name.